Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I am the creator and the host of the Is It Transphobic podcast. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. And today I'm being joined by... Hello, I am Liana Renee Hewer, and I uh, use she, her pronouns. And I am an actor. I'm a playwright as well as a ghost tour guide. And I am a novelist. I have 13 books out. All of them are full of ghosts and fun, spooky things um, that are... uh, sort of unleashing themselves all all over a realistic uh, London and New York City in the late 19th century. So we call this genre gas lamp fantasy because it's set in an era that was gaslit and fantasy because I do deal with fantastical themes and prophecies and magic and demons and friendly ghosts. So that's me. Love it. Love it so much. Uh, you're also one of my favorite uh, uh, riding buddies. We went to, we've driven across the country together multiple times and back. So many road trips. <laughs> so many road trips. So many road trips. Yeah. So many. Like, ah, uh, like it's so, so fun. I can't even tell you. I know very few of you are going to get to experience something like this with Leanna, where you just go for six to eight hours. To 12. Uh, it, oh, we go and there's just go. A, there's always some there's always a point of of absolute loopiness um where we yep. realize that all the towns in New Jersey can be sung to the hot pockets theme um so you know we <laughs> yep <laughs> try it everybody look up a city in New Jersey and you could probably set it to hot pockets <laughs> not completely it doesn't always work but most of the time it works caucus <laughs> It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so now you have a window so, into our road trips every yeah. day. This is just, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Well, that's one thing I'm, I do oh, miss. Yeah. Like in this, in the, in the current climate, I do sort of miss kind of the ridiculousness that happens with, con- with your convention friends. Um, and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just the sort of circumstances uh, that, that happen from, you know, uh, very little sleep and uh, long hours, um, but you know it's it's been at least great that we can sort of transfer some of those at least moments and experiences into something that's virtual. So it's not like we're not still able to connect, which is great. So I'm very glad to be here, by the way. Yeah, and just to throw this out there to our audience, Leanna is a wonderful cis ally. Um, we're doing, in a lot of the mini episodes and a lot of these interviews, I'm bringing in a lot of different people with a lot of different in, uh, perspectives just to sort of vary up a lot of our content, <laughs> just in general. Uh, and also because there's a lot of like really cool people that I'd love to have on the show to talk about gender issues, to talk about uh, the writing world, to talk about creation of media uh, that I don't necessarily, but I don't necessarily want to uh, bring them into the space for analyzing media from a trans lens because, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have that lens. But at the same time, uh, again, we can all learn a lot from one another. Well, and I, I love having the dialogue about 
the lens from your perspective too. And you know that that's been something, you know, we've been, we've been working artistically together in, you know, whether it's, you know, short plays of yours with puppets for Temple Con back, you know, for like literally over <laughs> years ago, um, you know, and, and. Mm -hmm. it, it, oh my God, that's right. So yeah, no, seriously. I, I remember reading stage directions yeah. for your, for your puppet theater very early on in our friendship. <laughs> and I, you know, it was delightful. It was absolutely delightful. And we've kind of, you know, I, I've been in your shows and I've been, you know, um, and, and I, and we've also just been, uh, collaborators on some of my fiction where I've needed a sensitivity reader. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely um, thrilled to be uh, a part of the ongoing dialogue just about art in general and how that can continue to be more and more inclusive. Yeah. So with that, let's talk a little bit about the, the writing that you do. We talked when we were talking a little bit earlier, we talked about this idea of historical fantasy, historical fiction, what is the difference between, say, historical fiction and just fiction that has his that is like history? Like, what is there a difference? <laughs> I think, and may, maybe when you get into like the the literary spheres, they may sort of subdivide that out. But I think you know, historical fiction is something that is taking. Uh, it's not a firsthand account. It's not an autobiography. But even an autobiography it's going to be a little bit fictionalized because people are going to maybe want to, to show themselves in the best light possible, or, um, you know, or if it's a biography, um, people are going to have bias. They're going to bring that to, to something. So I don't know that we ever completely get a, a view of history that isn't filtered in some way. So for me, one of the reasons why I choose to write historical fantasy and have fantastical elements that come into my work is that historically speaking, um, spiritualism as a movement was a huge way in which women and anyone who identified as female could have an audience in a way that prior to the advent of spiritualism, there really wasn't a platform for women to sort of speak on, on any kind of authoritative way about something that was faith-based. Um, so it's really true that there is a historical truth to the idea of women holding seances and having public uh, events where they were touting themselves as an expert in talking with the dead. That was a very real thing. And a lot of the famous uh, spiritualists were also ardent uh, uh, suffragists as well and abolitionists and were speaking out for universal suffrage and for just human rights across the board. And so the late 19th century, we really get a lot of our 20th century senses of what the just causes are. We get a lot of the labor movement that's really gaining speed. We have a lot of the civil rights movements and, and equal rights across every kind of board. So that for me is a really dynamic place. And then I can utilize the idea of spiritualism, make it real for my characters. And even though a lot of spiritualists were debunked as frauds and as people who are opportunists, well, sure, if there's a platform to have a public way to address folks that was denied to you before, you might use that platform just like Victoria Woodhull did when she was the first woman to run for president with Frederick Douglass, a black man as her running mate. And this was 1872. So that and that's real history. Mm. So, you know, the, the the spiritualist movement for me was a way to sort of say, hey, here's to remind modern audiences that things that we think are modern rights issues were, are not 20th century things. People were working on them and fighting for them and fighting for a better, more inclusive world in the 19th century. And so it's an era I was always drawn to, 
since I was a kid. And it's like an era that has lots of complicated history. So I'm trying to find a window of time where my kind of Scooby gang of inclusive characters from all kinds of different backgrounds can come together to save the day. That's really kind of the basically the plot of any of my novels is get the Scooby gang together and they, <laughs> and they all come from different backgrounds, which is good because you want people that have different ideas to solve a problem and save the day. And, and especially, you know, books set in, I, I have metropolitan settings, London and New York, and these were always diverse cities and diverse in every single way. And, you know, so for me, I, the fantastical angle is not that I'm creating fantastical people. People of all identities have always existed. And so I do get a little pushback of like, why are you putting your modern feminism and your modern inclusiveness into the 19th century? Because people have always been here. People have always been in every mm -hmm. era. And, you know, it was history is diverse. And, and I mean that in every single sense of the way uh, the word, whether it's faith based diversity, whether it's uh, racial diversity, gender identity diversity, queer diversity of any kind. It's, you know, people have always been here. And uh, and in a place like New York and London, you've got a great chance to draw on a rich history of different populations coming together uh, and needing to work together in small spaces. So uh, for me, I, I love fantastical things. I love ghost stories. It's my favorite thing. You know, I love a good spooky ghost story. Um, but the fantasy angle comes in my plot devices, not from the people. So, you know, my I try to make sure that my my friendship um my my friendship group is diverse as well because that really, you know, that way I can be pulling on my knowledge of how uh, there's so many different perspectives just in my life that I can think of in, in any kind of moment. And so that's one of the things that I love to talk about with other writers is just is is stressing the importance of making sure that you're on intake about lots of diff with lots of different ideas and lots of different perspectives, um, hopefully uh, positive ones, not hateful ones. You can shove the hateful ones right out the door. So there. Yeah. Absolutely. No, and, and I think that a lot of people immediately, like you look at, uh, like, oh, what was it? I think it was a Tumblr that was showing uh, Black individuals in Victorian and in like pre-Victorian even, uh, like works and photos. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's just like, yeah, like people have existed all exactly like you say, people have existed throughout time in throughout all the different space. Ah, no, it just, yeah. I, I could just aggressively agree with everything that you just said for another hour. <laughs> but no, like, exactly. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck, especially when they either uh, try and write a piece of historical fiction or even a historical account uh, where immediately you look at that and you see like, oh, well, it happened in history. Like, what was it? There was a psych, there was a psych joke. As weird as it is that I'm referencing Psych, that like terrible show. No, hey, all all of my all of my characters are psychic, but so it's sort of it's sort of yeah. tangential. <laughs> sure. It's in there. Here we go. Here it is. Here it is. There it is. But yeah, yeah. What point Dulé Hill? Uh, he was at. I think that they were they were uh, watching a. They were at the rehearsal for a Jack the Ripper piece, and Dulé Hill, who's a black man, he says like. He he incited something to be like, well, maybe I should be in this. Maybe I should try for that. And they're like, well, it's like, what? Did they not invent black people yet? And it's just like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, no, Absolutely. fuck your ahistorical, 
your ahistorical need to keep things quote unquote historical. Right, which is yeah, which is not true, and it's in a, it's an enfor it's enforcing a false whitewashing that did not that was mm -hmm. not a part of any kind of metropolitan narrative anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, particularly from the from the trans angle, they tend to look at the word transgender because it was not coined until the 1960s or 1970s, and we talk constantly about how there have been trans people throughout history, even if the word didn't exist. Uh, they're like these mountains that you see, like just because they didn't have a name or just because they had a name that was completely changed because of colonialism, doesn't mean that it didn't exist prior to the name that you know it as. It was still a mountain, it was still there. And, and we, yeah. we, we, had, we had to handle that, you and I. So one of the things I, that I always employ for all of my books is uh, something known as a sensitivity reader. Anytime that you're writing outside of your lane um, and anytime you're writing significantly outside of your own identity, it is a good idea to hire a sensitivity reader who can look at your work and make sure that you are not inadvertently reinforcing negative stereotypes, inadvertently using terminology that's harmful. My whole rule about writing novels is 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 kind of a take on sort of the, the Wiccan rule of harm no other, do what you will. I'm sort of like harm no other, write what you will is kind of my deal, but harm no other is the first rule of that law. And so hiring sensitivity readers, um, especially my latest Spectral City series, um, I had uh, a character who I just I knew she was trans. She came into my into my mind as she came to my heroine's doorstep, um, led by spirits. Um, she's psychic. She's led by spirits to come to the heroine's front door and and basically say, I was led here to you and to work that I think that we can do together. And Eve sees this feminine soul in front of her and, and knows right away led by the spirits. It's like, they're all psychics. They all see ghosts. They have, they can hear the spirits and it's like, okay, great. Come on in and join the team. And Antonia, the character in my latest Spectral City series. Um, so Ashley has been the sensitivity reader for Antonia, who I have to say is like one of my reader favorites, like readers love this character. And, you know, she just really came fully formed into my mind. And I also just knew she, she was very upfront about what her identity is, but we had to navigate that you and I about how do we say mm -hmm. and make it very clear that she is a trans woman, but not use that word because the word didn't exist. And I don't want to throw people out from the narrative linguistically. And so I, yeah. I do keep my, my terms for the most part entirely period appropriate. Um, so we navigated that together and I think, I think to great effect because it is very specific and it's, you know, you can't miss it, but at the same time, it's not the only thing about her. Um, that's not the only aspect about her identity. You know, she has these other talents and these other things that are like, um, just a part of who she is. So that was another thing for me. I was like, you know, talking with you about how, you know, trans narratives should not be only about suffering or not be only about the identity only um, should be mentioned, yes, because it is a part of the worldview, but at the same time, you know, and also so that people can see themselves represented because representation is such an important mm -hmm. thing. Um, but, you know, I have a sensitivity reader for my biracial character, Cora, and for my Jewish hero, uh, Detective Horowitz. So any time that I'm writing outside of my lane culturally, uh, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of gender identity, 
I have a, a gay man, so I employed a, a gay uh, male sensitivity reader for um, all of my scenes with Danny um, and with other of my um, uh, other queer characters that I've had in other of my books. Um, I've hired sensitivity readers for any of those, you know, intersections just to make sure that there's something that I'm not, you know, uh, the world is full of a complicated, tangled mess. And I really want to make sure that that readers and, and authors kind of get used to the term sensitivity reader as something that's like just a normal part of our parlance. You know, it's just it, this is a part of the process that you can do. And and if you have a group of, you know, if you make sure that your professional uh, contacts are diverse, then you can go to those people. People ask me like, well, where do I find a sensitivity reader? And I, well, in this case, we were already friends. And so, you know, hello, may I hire you for your hourly rate to do this thing? And you want to hire people because it's essentially, you know, you're asking them to do emotional labor on your work. And so you, you want that to be, you don't want to just ask your friends to like, hey, will you look at this to make sure I'm not racist? Or hey, will you look at this to make sure I'm not, you know, being insensitive or, you know, offensive? Oh. You want to hire people because it is a professional thing that they're doing and you want to honor that emotional labor and their time. And that is something that you are doing professionally. You have hourly rates for that. So um, you definitely don't want to lean on your friends to do something that they're professionally getting hourly rates for otherwise. So, but, but that is how I found all of my sensitivity readers is they were people I was already professional associates with. So that's again, coming back mm -hmm. to like, Hey, let's normalize sensitivity reading. And if you are, you know, if you're a person who is not from X amount of marginalized identities, well, make sure that you're not only taking in one homogenized uh, intake source in your in your media, in the in your creators, in your on your you know Twitter feed stuff like that. So um, I think that that just makes for a better person as well as a better writer because you're you're on intake from different perspectives. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Like I'm also just really, well, I'm also just really excited that people love. Like I'm, I'm just really excited that people love her. Honestly, <laughs> like because people get worried about trying to tackle a character outside their experience. And again, there are different, there are different thoughts and different philosophies on whether or not one should even do that. And I would say, even if it's as side characters, absolutely they should exist in your world if they exist in your world, because like literally it would be painting a very improper picture of the world if it was all white if it was all male if it was all straight mm -hmm. uh if you live in that world uh that's other issues that i'm raising <laughs> uh because that's not the world that you live in because i've heard that people get angry about the idea of a sensitivity reader and uh maybe burke and i did an episode on sensitivity reading and authenticity reading uh for the podcast and it, it's just like things that i've heard from other people as far as like oh i'm looking for a sensitivity reader and a lot of it's just like stuff on twitter but have you gotten any pushback when you talk about sensitivity reading uh from other writers or from people who uh you've talked about sensitivity reading and they're just like oh don't even know like what yeah. Um, I don't really, I don't really tolerate the pushback. Um, I think part of the reason is that I, I speak very authoritatively, especially if I'm on a panel. I'm like, this is what you should do if you don't want to be a terrible person. And so I think like, I sort of pause it in a way that's like, I'm sorry, this is just basic. I, I basically bring it forward as an as a concept, as a common sense concept, because I think it is a common sense concept. 
just like you want to have, you know, fact checkers or you want to do your research. This is a way to do research. It has a specific term, but it's not different than doing research. It's not different than asking someone, hey, what did the port of New York on the east side look like at this particular angle? And they happen to be a doc expert or whatever, you know. So it, those those yeah. things, I mean, you know, human beings are not are, are not uh, st structures. But at the same time, there is there is so much that you have to do to make a book. I don't really understand why people get angry at the idea of running some things by somebody else. Um, and again, I think maybe because I'm confident that I can take direction. I think a lot of people just worry that that, oh, someone's going to come in and just like hate on their work. Um, well, if there's hateful content in your work, then that's something you need to work on. If if you're trying your best, then a sensitivity reader is going to see that. They're not going to tell you that you're a terrible person when they see that you're trying, when they see that you've done some research. And you don't want to like make your sensitivity readers be doing their research for you. You want to do some of your own research first so you don't make rookie mistakes right out of the gate. Um, you know, listen to the language that people prefer. Listen to the ways in which, um, you know, People want, you know, to if you're referring to the black population, you want to capitalize the B, stuff like that. You know, little things that like, prove that you're listening to stylistic things and, and things about basic courtesy. So the way that I present sensitivity reading, even if I might get an eye roll from the audience, I, I just really don't even leave a window to argue with me about it. <laughs> so um, <laughs> because I just, you know, and, and I try to just speak from enthusiasm and speak from a lot of positivity and 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 sort of just kill everyone with kindness in a in a in a good way that that might sort of give me a pushback right. on it um and try not to make it seem scary because i think a lot of times when there's people that will get up in arms about stuff it's just because they're scared it's just because they're not sure and and especially if you are wading into territories that are that are not in your lane um then it, it is you know you might be writing outside of your comfort zone um but i think as long as you're approaching it with openness and that's what you have to do as a writer. You have to be willing to take edits. So if you can't take editorial feedback and and some conversation with some people about your work, then you're really in the wrong profession. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. No. I, I I didn't mean to laugh like that. No. I just like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the punctuation of the laughter, Ashley. I always do. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I think, and I think part of that, and let, let me know if I'm overstepping or if I'm assuming, but like, I think part of that is also coming from a theater background, an acting background, a, a writing for mm -hmm. scripts background, where you're used to that idea of uh, people creating a piece of art is not just one person, even though your name is the one that's on the front of the book. Right, right. There's like a whole bunch of other people involved. Well, uh, yeah. So you're going to go through a marketing. Campaign. Yep. Yeah, yep. And that's well, no, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I really do think that my training as uh, you know, I came up through theater ranks and I writing was something I was always doing on the side. But my my degree and my first professional, uh, you know, my, my first jobs and my first professional career is it was first and foremost being an actor. And so, yeah, that collaborative nature of like, of course, we are going to get the team together again, get the Scooby gang together to save the day, make the make the art. Um, I think that really helped me to be uh, 
be ready for these kinds of conversations and not feel like it's anything but making my art better. And so I just, I invite other people of thinking about sensitivity reading. It's just invitation to make your art better. It's just going to, you're just going to be also expanding your audience and who doesn't want to do that? You know, if people can see that you are um, writing inclusively about an era, you know, I get, I, I, for, for any pushback that I've ever gotten, I've gotten tenfold support for, um, oh, hey, here's a, here's a book that's set in the 19th century and it is inclusive and it is, you know, without hitting you over the head about it. Cause I'm not interested in being didactic about what I'm presenting. I just want folks to feel like they're included because folks were always around. So, you know, and, and, also for me, I, again, that idea of everyone bringing something new and different and, and, and special to the table, that's also a cast dynamic too. And my characters are very, like my, my work is very character driven and that's definitely a theatrical thing where, um, you know, the, the crux of all of my books is a very character driven idea. And that's, I'm sure that comes from a theater uh, perspective. And so I, I do think it really helped me to not feel like, I was the only one making this piece of art. And so I was already dis predisposed to being willing to take feedback because I'd been working with directors for so many years. So I think like if you are a writer and you're having a hard time with your book, with the idea of criticism, maybe think about taking a theater class. Maybe think about, you know, doing some kind of other artistic format in which you have other people coming together. And that might help you just sit back a little bit and and get over yourself a little bit for lack of a better um you know and be willing to have a, an openness about about your art and and how to make it uh and how how to make it a good cast dynamic for everybody that goes for the you know the readers are watching the cast dynamic on the pages of your book, you know? So I, I do think very theatrically about it. And so I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think it's one of the reasons why um, I sort of seamlessly uh, transitioned into writing novels, but still didn't leave that collaborative nature. So I think that that was really a helpful thing. So I just, you know, if you're a writer and you're feeling like, um, this is all on, you're all on your own. You're not, I think build, building more community around your writing, um, is only going to be a, a, a helpful thing, both for your process, as well as just uh, a vibrancy in your, in your creative life. Yeah. I think, I think also when people worry about a sensitivity reader, like assuming that they're going in good faith and are just worried. Uh, they're worried that the sensitivity reader is either going to say, well, you're a trans, like in my case, well, you're a transphobe, or uh, I'll, I'll say like, you got to throw out your manuscript. And honestly, it's on the table. And part of that is when I start a new contact with someone, usually when I don't know them, I don't think I ever did that with you just because it's like, ah, I know you'll be fine. <laughs> but like... <laughs> But like, you know, you might have to scrap this character. You might have to scrap this entire manuscript. That's, it's, a, it's a risk that you take when you write outside of your lane. And you might be telling a story that is not yours to tell very specifically. And there is no one-to-one. -one, I can't just write a list of like, there are a bunch of stories that I will say, like, please don't do this anymore. And I will say, please, please, please don't write about transgender sex workers. It's not that transgender sex workers don't exist it's not that i'm anti-sex work it's that yo cis people have been fucking that up for years if anyone's going to do it let a trans let a trans person who has experience in sex work do that truly but I, <laughs> but i digress um and there has only been one 
instance where I have told someone, shelve this book, do not do this. Um, and in reality, this person was, I was doing a favor for someone else to look over this person's manuscript and I did not get paid for it. And so I'm like, nope, I'm not, I'm not ever going to do that again on all accounts. Uh, but I, I have also experienced things where I will say like, hey, there is a fundamental problem with the way that this book is set up. There's a fundamental problem with the inciting incident of the book. And I don't want, because I, and this is not, you know, every sensitivity reader is their own human, but I don't want you to shelve your book. I want you, you might have to do a lot more work than you think you need to, mm -hmm. to get it into a shape, but I want to help you mold it into something because I want a reader like me growing up to be able to read something that anyone, I, me personally, I don't care who wrote it. I want someone to be able to pick up a book and say, this is a character that I can identify with. Holy crap. Absolutely. It's such an so. important thing. And it's such, and, and I think that, you know, uh, it's, there are so many ways to tell stories. We, there, there doesn't need to be, uh, especially with the dialogue that's happening with a lot of fiction. It's like, you don't have to occupy spaces that other people have not been allowed to occupy in publishing. You know, let folks tell their own stories. You have your own story to tell. And of course, yes, it, it should feature people who are not exactly like you. Because uh, again, if some if a situation is entirely homogenous, it's just not realistic. Um, so, but I think that there are so many ways in which uh, stereotypes and tropes have done a lot of harm. Um, especially regards regarding things like traumas and like using trauma or violence against women. I mean, that as, as like a shortcut uh, to character growth, it's like, I'm tired of that. And I don't put that in my work. Are, are my characters in danger? Yes. Often they're in danger. Um, but, but it, I think that there are certain things that just have become just so tired. And I know you talk about this on, on the podcast about like just things that are just tired stereotypes and tired tropes and, tr and harmful tropes. And so you don't want to just be in inadvertently utilizing something that's going to take people out of the narrative rather than getting them invested in it. Um, because there's a lot of things that are just going to be turnoffs from, for me, uh, violence against women. That's just honestly just a shortcut or that, Oh, well this, um, this, this violence, uh, happens so that the other character feels something like I just, you know, that, uh, trauma for character growth is not my, is not my favorite thing at all. Uh, in fact, I kind of hate it. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, yeah that. <laughs> I, I think that that, and that de definitely goes, that is sort of doubly so if you're writing characters outside of your lane too, because then you're inviting other people to, you know, witness these traumas against an already marginalized population. It's just, it's a recipe for uh, people viewing your book, not in good faith again. So I think that those things, you know, if, if you're, if you're writing books about sensitive topics, that's totally valid. Um, I do think just be aware of where you're writing it from. Um, and if and if there's something that's really deeply, deeply personal and deeply, deeply intimate, maybe that's, you know, I don't know, maybe refocus on the stuff that, you know, from your experience um, and and let let the people who whose voices have been sidelined 
tell their stories because that's the thing what we're, we're seeing now in publishing it is very white it is very gate kept um and it is uh it is very cisgendered in a lot of the uh positions of power and acquisitions so i think that you know until publishing gets more diverse across its board and who is actually doing the acquiring and who is doing the buying, then we as writers have to recognize that like, you know, we shouldn't be taking up space that needs to be, uh, it need, needs to be given to the people whose stories have not been heard enough. Um, does it mean you can't write a story? Of course, there, there's not, I think that people come into publishing with a scarcity narrative. Yes, it's hard to get published, but it doesn't mean that someone else who is writing from an authentic perspective is taking the place that you would take. It's you would every there's a, there's room for everyone, um, just not all at the same time. You know, books aren't you know, there there are years worth of process that go into any kind of novel. Um, and and again, if that we've seen, I've seen several, several folks recently who have been, um, uh, who have been centering narratives uh, that are culturally not at all their own, and they have been taking up a space. Um, and then there's, then there's a lot of pushback. And so then there's this huge public thing that um, the, the authors are revealed to not be from the background that they have sort of you know, use the angle of to get a book published or get at least a deal. Um, and then folks from the communities who are like, mm, hey, actually, culturally, those two things that you're using as a premise, actually, that's not a thing. Then you have this huge public mm. thing and there's retractions and there's been books that have been shelved and books that have been pulled. And there's, you know, just you don't want to get to that point where you. And then there's American. Dirt. Right. Exactly. I'm sorry. Exactly. Just, uh, let me let me shoot on American dirt. Anyway, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That is a huge. That is a huge uh, example. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. And and so uh, definitely, people are are. I think, and, and we we know this that white privilege is is something that really wants to have the ability to do whatever it wants. And so I think that like mm -hmm. uh, some some white folks just don't want to be told no. And white folks, we gotta be, we gotta get used to, we gotta get used to being told no. Uh, we gotta get used to that, mm -hmm. and 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 we gotta be get used to the idea that not every space is for us, and we're not the god given storytellers of every narrative. So again, as I as I sort of say to folks who are kind of going into this business, like get over yourself because you've got you've got a lot to learn and you're not the only writer that's out there and you're not the only person who is who's called to write a narrative. Just keep writing one that you feel really does need to be out in the world and you'll find a place for it. Um as, as long as you do all the work, but you do have to do the work and you shouldn't barge into spaces that are not for you and take up the time of the work that should be done for the other people that it's meant for. Those spaces are meant for, um, you know, there's there's a, a program called DV Pit, which is, you know, diversity uh, pitch. And so it's, you know, meant for diverse creatives. And somebody recently came in on the DV pit hashtag and and got all the way to a book deal and turns out they are not from any of the backgrounds that that specific contest was built for and and you know used it uh, and now there's some pushback uh, and rightly so because it was not meant for um, for the for this person it was specifically meant for people who had had a hard time 
getting any kind of traction or noticed as a marginalized identity. So, so yeah, so those, there's, I, I'm sorry if I diverged a bit on that, but no, that's fine. I'm like, honestly, our, I think it's important stuff. It's like, we got to, we, we gotta... our, our regular listeners will know that we, uh, we, we tend to tangent sometimes. And honestly, it's rarely as like important as the tangent you went on. So <laughs> I I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for a good tangent. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. It's my, my little, my little rants about stuff. I just, you know, when given the opportunity. So I want to, because we need to start wrapping up soon, not necessarily right now, but just like soon. Um, I want to ask a little bit about your sort of like, because you're, because we're going to be releasing this to our Patreon subscribers in October, uh, but to the general populace in November, we're in this nice Halloween Thanksgiving sweet, sweet spot. So I'm going to ask you a question. What Halloween tradition are you thankful for? Oh, I, that's very clever. I see what you did there. Um, yeah. I am thankful for basically the month of October being like Halloween town sort of come to life. I mean, basically, as a goth, uh, as a proud, lifelong goth, uh, it's, you know, this it's really my month. Uh, it's it's the month where people dress up like goths, and you know, and we're like, hey. Um, so uh, you know, for me, there's a a delight in. I've always delighted in spooky things. So when that becomes everybody's delighting in spooky things, um, I think that's fantastic because for me, one of my favorite parts of my narratives is the idea that things that might seem strange or things that might seem spooky could be in fact a friend or could be in fact not in not at all monstrous but in fact something beautiful and so i love the idea of turning the tables on what is beautiful and what is monstrous and 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 continuing to ask that question so i think that the month of celebrating uh the spooky season automatically asks that question. Um, you know, people are are scared of bats and spiders. Well, I love bats and spiders and they're adorable and they're very important to our ecosystem. So um, I, I think that there's a way in which we can turn things that are startling um, into something lovable. And, and especially, you know, it, thematically, it goes right with my Spectral City series, which is the series that you and I have worked on um, with uh, my cast of, of psychics, of an all-female team of psychics and their favorite friendly ghosts who help solve weird crime in 1899 Manhattan. So with the Spectral City books, the whole premise is to try to turn the, the tables on what a ghost story is and the idea of these friendly ghosts who are here to help. Um, and they're, they're still creatures, as Eve would say, they're creatures of startle and shock. But uh, so there's, there's still jarring moments, but the idea of she, she wants the people to think of ghosts as a help, not a horror. And so I think that that for me is what October is. And I'm thankful for that sort of glee. I write spooky stuff, but I don't write horror that is unrelentingly grim. I write some, I, I write horrific things um, and I do mm. write scary stuff, but I don't stay in that. My, my books end up going towards a hopeful angle and a sort of celebratory mm. and very fun and quirky angle. And so I feel like that part of the Halloween tradition where everyone's just kind of having fun with 
their whatever, wherever their comfort zone is with the spooky and how they might be getting a little close to the veil between the living and the dead um, and celebrating that. Because for me, the idea of ghosts is about celebrating life and celebrating the spirit of the person. And so I love that that, that that's kind of inherent in um, in the fun of Halloween. I know you, you mentioned this idea of like how people are scared of bats and how does this even happen? Honestly, like I see so much bat footage and they just, they're dogs with wings. They're, they're dogs with wings. They're just, they're, <laughs> they're just the cutest. Um, uh, yeah. Do you, do you want to hear, do you want to hear my, my favorite bat story real quick? Always. Okay, good. <laughs> so my, my senior year of college, um, I am rehearsing, I am in a I'm in this gothic building in my in my college campus and it's this it's this beautiful also for for listeners who maybe haven't googled Leanna yet. Uh Leanna dresses most of the time in Victorian morning attire. This is just the normal everyday like oh hi. Yeah. It's... Yeah, and the only difference is like how like you know even this has puff sleeves here but you know uh uh in there, the, how many layers there are depends on how public I am. Um but but some some layer of all of the you know some level of this. Yes. I'm I am I am always in some kind of gothic regalia. So so much like I was in my senior year of college in in a gothic building. So it was like the architecture was gothic. Um, I just happened to be in it. And I hear this screaming <laughs> of my name. And I, so I, I was at the time, you know, being on brand here, uh, at the time I was rehearsing a one woman show about 19th century poetry. It was very intense. <laughs> And, uh, you know, true to form. And I hear my name being screamed, my name, the one known goth on the campus of Miami University in Ohio. Uh, uh, it was a school of 60,000 people. And I was the one goth. And uh, so, yeah, I got brought up in people's subculture discussions in their English class. Um, but uh, so like, oh, there's that one goth girl on campus. OK, so I hear my name screamed and I go into the hallway and there is a bat circling in the hallway. And. And and the, and I'm like, and I look at these, you know, screaming sophomores and juniors that are pointing at the bat and then pointing at me and my choker and my fishnets and my boots. And <laughs> this something as if this has something to do with me. Um, and then them just pointing at the bat and then to me that that's all that's all the farther that went. And so I know that that they're terrified of the towering as this poor little guy is going in circles in the presser music hall building you know circling and so i not being afraid of bats um go up to the bat and i put my hands in front of the bat's little nose about four to five inches in front of its face and it responds accordingly as if my hands are a wall which was the whole point was trying to sort of route the bat towards the door and and thankfully <laughs> Thankfully, the, the ceilings weren't too terribly high, um, but uh, so I so I could actually just hold my arms up. But see, what I didn't realize is that I understand the concept of echolocation, and I know that that is how bats find their way. But to someone who doesn't, and clearly these sophomores and juniors did not know the concept of echolocation, all they see is this goth girl with her hands in front of a bat snout five inches from its face, and I am moving it. I am communing. <laughs> I am like, and I hear these whispers of like, that's some vampire shit. Like, what is, she's met, like, she is 
one with the bat. Like, what is happening? Pushing the bat around, and it is responding accordingly to my gentle. Like, I'm not touching this, of course. You know, it's it doesn't want to be touched. It doesn't want to be grabbed. That would be injurious for the bat. But but yeah, I, I suppose to someone not familiar with echolocation, it would in fact look like it was under my thrall and I was as its vampire leader uh, urging it outside. But I met <laughs> the little guy outside and it and it clung to the the beautiful gothic archway and the parapet like that was out on the front of the of the building and it just like was trying to catch its breath. And so um, I you know it, and so I like bid everyone come over and like look at this little guy. How can you be, look how, and the, you know, and I just sort of forced everyone to look at it. Like, look at how cute it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is adorable. <laughs> and, and, and my reputation uh, blossomed. Uh, I was, I was that woman for, you know, the rest of the year. Uh, I, my, my reputation across campus only grew. It, uh, I became legend. So, and, and it's probably the most on-brand story that like, I, I, on I promise I'm not making this up. This actually really did happen. So. <laughs> oh, amazing. Oh. Okay. So I want to ask you one more thing, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of start wrapping up. Uh, so you've been watching Doom Patrol recently, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, how so have you finished the second season are you still in the middle of it yes. like okay so i like i want to get your take on danny street because i we've talked a little bit about this just like for, for listeners we've talked a little bit about this like this is not the first time Leanna and i are talking about danny street but like i'm just curious from your like as an observer as someone who's like as an observer i'm an observer too i didn't i, <laughs> I didn't work on the damn thing but like <laughs> but like what what are your thoughts on danny street i'm just i'm curious okay i i would fight for danny street i mean danny street is very much like what i try to create in my books which is a place where everyone is welcome so the concept of danny street is is totally like i is lovable and i want places like danny street to exist a place that marginalized people or people who feel like they don't have any place to turn or that they're not understood and and or or people who are not free to be themselves can go and be free to be themselves um i really try to focus on that on my fiction um should danny street be the only representation of a gender queer identity uh no i mean i think that the idea that you know what we were talking about the problem is like the the concept of danny street uh is lovely if but if you also had other representations in human form <laughs> and not sort of you know yeah. a, a dehumanized <laughs> form you know that inherently is 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 not you know it, it's like okay well there's some representation there can we have a person though <laughs> um and i think mm. you know when when we when we came back to Danny Street and we we returned to Mara Lee Corrupt, who I a uh, character it was just fantastic and really really fun, right? And and she does she does mention her trans sisters, um, but you don't necessarily know early on if if she, if trans identity is a part of her identity because we see her as a drag queen, and those things are not necessarily interchangeable. So I think that like um, there there was an effort towards inclusion, but I think like I'm looking forward to seeing 
the a show that has lots of possibilities for other uh, gender identities and ways in which that is can be represented um, can can really kind of have more range of expression on the show. Um, but the concept of Danny Street, I really fell in love with as this safe place, this place um, that was you know powerful in its own right, and 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 would seek to protect people, um, which I just love, and I, I love how how the street spoke in signs and it was just very endearing to me. Um, and I would definitely, you know, fight to the death for Danny street. Um, and it's, uh, it's been kind of interesting to, I'm glad that the, the street has been, you know, um, a recurring character and now it has transformed. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil things for people, but there's a transformation that happens. And so I'm really interested in where they go with what, um, sort of uh, physical transformation that Danny Street goes through and where they're going to go with that. Um, so, yeah, so that's mm, kind of yeah. my thoughts on it. It's like, okay, I love the concept, but that shouldn't be the only representation of a genderqueer identity on the show. Yeah. And for those uh, who maybe haven't seen Doom Patrol or didn't listen to this episode expecting we'd talk about <laughs> Doom Patrol, <laughs> uh, yeah, Dan Danny Street is a sentient street uh, who uses they, them pronouns and talks not necessarily in sign language, but literally by warping and changing signs uh, to communicate. And it's a honestly, Danny Street is an amazing device as far as like communicating and as far as like creating like a world. Totally. And like, I, 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 I can't say enough how much I love Danny Street at the same time. Exactly, exactly. It's just like, that's the, the first time we're hearing about a character using they them pronouns in this i don't know for sure if it's the first time in a dc uh, adapted series but i can't think of another character using they them pronouns and as lovable and as amazing as danny street is it's a goddamn street it's, like, <laughs> right, right. it's a goddamn street right. like <laughs> and, and it's just they, it shouldn't be uh, the only yeah it shouldn't be the only thing people are like oh yeah. hey you know because i do feel like uh, you know yeah. there is this inadvertent okay well uh they them pronouns exist but not for people for yeah. for a place and it's like mm, no, I mean, I, you know, mm -hmm. and again, I think if I, I, I really enjoy how the characters just, you know, there's no, they, the characters just roll with it and they are just like, this is this, this, the, this is a genderqueer street and their pronouns are this, you know, which is okay, great. However, we can sort of normalize these things. That's fantastic. But the, it's also, there's a population of human beings out there too. So, um, and, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I, I hope that folks um, who are looking for representation aren't taking that and saying, oh, we, we can only be uh, object. I, I don't want that to be the takeaway. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they'll expand what, what some of these things can mean because a show like, a show like Doom Patrol has like endless possibilities. So, um, and I, I was, I was very entertained by it. It's not a perfect show, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I highly recommend it at the same time. If you get like three or four episodes in and you just aren't digging it, you probably won't like the rest of it. Oh, and yeah, that's no, fine. No, but I yeah, really love it. Like, yeah, you'll know, you'll know if you're into it or not. And like... I, I actually have to say though, that the, the pacing of the first few episodes is really slow and it's entirely mm. character driven and there's nothing that happens. And so there's lots of moments where, you know, talking about it with people, we're like, 
is anything going to actually happen in the first few episodes, you know? Um, and, and yeah. you know, the, the villain asks the same question, um, which is good, because then that helps that helps us all be like, okay, we're all in the same boat about nothing's yeah. actually happening here, right? But it is good character development. And I, but I promise you that the action mm-hmm. does pick up as you go. So if you're like, okay, so yeah, but the t- but tonally, if if tonally you're, if it's not hitting you, then it's not going to get better for you. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So, uh, honestly, with these interviews, I never know how to end them because usually with the show is 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 the topic that we were discussing: is it transphobic and is it enjoyable? Uh, are are you transphobic and enjoyable? That's not a question I should be asking another human. Uh, I, I, I would like to think I am not transphobic. I would like to think I am enjoyable. Um, so I think that you would call me on on being the former. Um, and, uh, I love it. So you know what? That's that's a great response. I don't think we're gonna get a better response. There we go. Than that. Cool. Uh, is there anything else that we just haven't talked about that you really want to make sure uh, the people hear that like just like really uh, you you gotta get out there to to the audience that listens. Um, if you're if you're coming to my work, um, my I would definitely say uh, jump into the Spectral City series because these books are like really some of my favorite things I've ever written. So, you know, I have lots of crossover characters. And so you don't have to feel like you have to read my other books to read my latest books. Um, They're all, each one is a jumping off point. Um, So if you're looking for something of mine to pick up, definitely, I definitely recommend The Spectral City because it's just, there's just something about this series that really has warmed my heart and the heart of my readers in a way that I don't know. There's just something really special about it. I hope I'm, and I, you know, hope that folks will feel the same way about it. Um, It's a lot of love, you know, it's a, it's a story written with characters who really, really care about each other. And I think in a time where there's a lot of hate and a lot of division, uh, I think narratives about uh, fierce love and care across all kinds of different relationships um, is it can be a balm. It was certainly a balm for me writing it. So I hope that folks will, will check that out. And I'm on all various social medias, uh, but I most, I'm most present on Twitter. So you can follow me at Leanna Renee uh, on Twitter. Um, and uh, my, my website, of course, uh, Leanna Renee com has um, all of my various social medias and contact things. I also have a writer's resource guide on my website. So people who do want to be a writer, um, I have a little resource guide of things that were helpful to me when I was first starting out. Um, so I'm always open to chat with readers and other professionals and other, you know, folks who are interested in art of any kind. So you can find me on any of the various medias. And if I don't respond immediately, it's because I am on deadline, but I will get back to you, I promise. Awesome. And if you want to hear some of Leanna and my uh, collaboration together, you can listen to the Parsnip Ships adaptation of my play, The Last Ring, where Leanna played Alexa slash Tatiana, who is just like a character outside of Leanna, but at the same time, Leanna just embodied so well. Like, oh, well, yeah, I love right. I loved playing Alexa because she she does she is an ally. She really does uh, want to create a space that she can authentically be herself and bring in her the women that she feels is her sister uh, into you know into the ring with her and and help build uh, their careers jointly. And it's just it that role just delighted me. Um, in every way, uh, especially when I got to uh, to to yell about ham sandwich, that was probably my favorite line. 
So uh, I get to tell about a, an actual character wrestling as a ham sandwich, uh, which was pretty wonderful. So like I, I delighted in the absurdity of of the wrestling uh, concepts that that you brought into that, um, and it was that was so much fun. So yes, please do. I I loved that play, and I hope you you will check it out. Yeah, so you can check that out through the Parsnip Ship. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Lucretia Deerfor. I might change that because honestly, uh, it's apparently very easy to change your Twitter handle. At the same time, I've been doing so many of these that I just feel overwhelmed trying to do that. Um, so you can do that. Uh, you can also find Is a Transphobic on Twitter at Is a Transphobic. You can find us on Instagram. That's new Instagram at Is a Transphobic. <laughs> what was I doing? Uh, <laughs> our website. Our website is isittransphobic.com, uh, where you can find uh, t-shirts, hoodies, mugs for sale there, as well as past episodes. Uh, and finally, if you're not listening on Patreon, then please support our Patreon for at least a dollar a month. You'll get episodes one week before they air publicly. And for these mini episode interviews, you'll get them one month prior to them uh, releasing to the public. So yeah. Either way, however you're coming here, thank you so much for listening. And Leanna, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, everyone. I'm so, so thrilled to be here. I always love talking with you, and this is a real treat. Thanks. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com. 